So today we finish up the series, uh, Winning the War in Your Mind. So week one, we looked at removing the lies that Satan tells us and replacing it with the truth that God proclaims. Week two, we looked at kind of rewiring our brain and then renewing our mind. And last week, we looked at reframing our mind so that we could restore our perspective. Today, we're going to look at how we can revive our soul so that we can reclaim our life. You see, our soul is the deepest part of who we are. It's the deepest part of our being. You see, we can kill the physical body, but we cannot kill the soul. The only person who has the power to do that is God. Why is that it's so important for us to understand? Well, it's important because of how important our mind is, how important the things are that we think, because our life, the life that we have is a reflection of what we think. Paul in Philippians chapter 4 says this, starting in verse 6, he says, Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, he says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. God, please calm my anxious mind. Anybody ever had an anxious mind? A mind that just won't stop? Sometimes God's peace that he brings doesn't make a lot of sense to us. And Paul tells us as much when when speaking of God's peace, he characterizes it as something that transcends all understanding. Yet although it is beyond our understanding, we can have confidence in that it guards our hearts and our minds. How? In Christ Jesus by having that relationship with Christ Jesus? How do we take control of our thoughts and our minds in Christ Jesus? If we try to do it by ourselves, it's going to be really hard and probably impossible. But in Christ Jesus, it's possible. You see, our, our, our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. 
This is good news if it's a good thought. However, it's also bad news if we have negative thoughts. So, a little bit of biology for you. I know that's why all of you came today. But for us to understand how this works, we have to understand how we work. So there's this little almond-shaped portion of your brain called the amygdala. And it is responsible for your emotions and your survival instincts. So when you're afraid, your amygdala lights up like a pinball machine, and produces your fight-or-flight response. When you sense danger, the amygdala is triggered and it deploys large amounts of adrenaline that prepares your body to act. So, for example, if you see a snake, you run. That's if it's you, though. I mean, I kind of go towards those things because... I was that kid that played with all the critters. Um, When you hear rumble strips on your tires, what do you do? You immediately turn, and then your heart, you're like, oh, wait, okay, now I feel a little better now that I realize that I'm still on the road. When you're asleep and your alarm goes off, Jennifer hates it when my alarm goes off because I like, It's like somebody scared me. I just like jump and react. I throw my like covers off, which end up taking the covers off of her. She hates it. But then I just hit my snooze button and do it all over again in 15 minutes. When a fire alarm goes off, you run for safety. There's one problem with the amygdala, though. You see, the amygdala is not objective. It's not objective. It sees a response, or it feels an experience or a stimulus, and it reacts. It doesn't have the ability to say, oh, that's not that big of a deal. It's all or nothing. So there are things that typically cause us to worry or to panic. So for me, I grew up, hopefully, and I had um, three house fires as a kid. Start over three times. So when I go into any place... I see how many things are plugged into an outlet. It's just a response of mine. When I go into any any place, I have an exit strategy. I've already thought about all the potential bad things that could happen, and I'm thinking about how I can get out of them. Don't ask me why that part is, because I was never in the house when the fire happened. But I, I always have... An exit strategy. It's weird. John and I, whenever we go to a restaurant together, it's usually a race to be the person to get to sit with our back against the wall. 
because neither of us like to sit with the door behind us because we want to see what's coming. And I'm usually gracious enough to let him have it. Things that cause me to panic, to have anxious or to worry. One of the biggest things for me is managing the time that I have in a day. See, the biggest part of each week for me is preparing a message for Sunday morning. And going against all popular belief, it takes more than 15 minutes to write a message. My messages can take anywhere from 12 to 20 hours a week alone just to prepare a message from beginning to end. There's prayer, there's studying what the scripture says, there's research on the area or the topic that I'm looking at, there's more prayer, Um, there's writing out the notes, then there's writing out the the manuscript, and uh, did I mention prayer? And um, not only do I have to come up with a message, but since we're not a large church and I can't pay a graphic designer, I also have to do all of the artwork and the slides and everything that goes into the worship presentation aspect of things. And when the end of a message series comes, I dread it because now I've got to come up with the next one. And this anxiety comes with the feeling of writing a message. They have to be creative. They have to be relevant. Every single one of them. Think about this. Here's the reality of the world that I live in as a person who speaks on Sunday morning. Every time I read the Bible, nothing in it has changed. The world is created, Adam and Eve sin, the world floods and the ark floats, the bush burns and the sea parts. Every Christmas, the virgin has a baby, his name is Jesus, every Easter, the tomb is empty. And I have to come up with a new and creative way to say the same thing. So the amygdala is not objective. So it needs help. Well, God is a creative God, more creative than you or I, and he came up with a plan. You see, there's another portion of the brain that helps your slightly confused amygdala, and it's called the prefrontal prefrontal cortex. The prefrontal cortex is the logical part of your brain. Here's an example of a conversation that your amygdala and your um, prefrontal cortex have. Your amygdala screams, there's someone in the house. He's going to kill me. Your prefrontal cortex clears his throat and says, it was just the cat. The amygdala screams louder, you're going to die. Grab the baseball bat under your bed. You have to go and fight the killer in your house but you're still probably going to die. The prefrontal cortex patiently insists it was, it was not a killer. I, I don't think a bat will even help you if it was. It's just the cat 
go back to sleep. Your amygdala keeps arguing, the cat isn't that loud. It's not the cat. Jump out the window. It's your only way to survive. Jump now. Your prefrontal cortex says, if someone had broken into the house, the alarm would have gone off. Besides, if it was a killer and you did jump out the window, what about your wife and kids? Your amygdala yells, they can fend for themselves. Jump! Your prefrontal cortex says, I repeat, it's just the cat. Your amygdala, louder, if he's right, then kill the cat. Your prefrontal cortex says, finally, you're making sense. That was pretty good, I must say myself. Without the prefrontal cortex, the amygdala responds to pre-programming. Did you hear that? Your amygdala responds based on how you have pre-programmed it to respond. Why are some people freaked out by spiders and other people are like, I'm bigger than it? Because we've pre-programmed ourselves to respond that way. More than likely, if you have kids that are terrified of insects, it's because you have a parent who's terrified of insects. And they have been more likely around the spaz-out parent, Jennifer, than me when an insect comes along. So what is our option? Our option is to pray. You see, prayer is a powerful thing. But prayer should not be our last defense. You see, prayer should be our first offense. Not only does prayer move the heart of God, but prayer also changes the chemistry in your brain. For decades, neurologists believed that the brain didn't change after adolescence. Today, we know that's not the case at all. See, our brains are constantly changing and evolving. This is what neurologists call neuroplasticity. You see, your brain, though it's not a muscle, in the sense of being like a muscle, it can be exercised. It can be stimulated for growth. It can be stimulated to become healthier. There's actually a a, a new science, fairly new science out there, called neurotheology or spiritual um, spiritual neuroscience. It studies the relationship between the brain and belief in God. You see, prayer literally changes your brain. In her book, Switch On, Dr. Caroline Leaf states, It has been found that 12 minutes of daily focused prayer over an eight-week period can change the brain to such an extent that it can be measured on a brain scan. 
12 minutes of prayer a day for eight weeks can significantly change the chemistry of your brain. So why do we worry? Why why do we have panic and anxiety? God would say that our mind is dominated by sinful thinking. So what is worry? Worry is the sin of distrusting the promises and power of God. Instead of letting our, our sin, or instead of letting my sinful nature control my mind, we're going to choose to let the Spirit direct our thinking. We're going to make the, the mental decision to allow the Spirit to help us think. We're going to let the, the logical part of our brain choose what is spiritual. In, in Romans 8, verses 5 and 6, Paul writes, he says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. And the mind governed by the flesh is death. And the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. You and I are going to start taking captive every thought. How? You know, I'm glad you guys ask such ridiculously good questions. Um, I'm going to show you how we're going to do this. Um, it's called the God Box. And I, I created my uh, God Box today. Um, and notice it gets a little heavy sometimes. The laugh sign just went off. Come on, I got to help you out. And, oh, by the way, it delivers a smile every time. Uh, I should get, like, credit from Amazon for that one. So if you're worried about something, you're going to write it on a piece of paper, and you're going to put it in the box. What, wait, what's the point of that? Well, you're literally going to take that thought captive and you're going to give it to God. And you're going to put it in there and you don't take it out. You're not going to take it back. You're not, that thought is God's thought now. And whenever that thought comes up, whenever that worry, anxiety, panic comes back, you're going to go back to that realization. I gave that to God. I gave that to God. I need you to help me. I need you to help me take these thoughts captive. I need your comfort. I need to know that you are the hope that I need in this situation. We're going to take those thoughts captive. If you're anxious about a test coming up, you're going to write that test on a piece of paper and you're going to put it in your box. If you think about the future and it causes you to panic, you're going to put it on a piece of paper and you're going to put it in the box. If you want a cigarette or you want another drink of alcohol, if you can't 
pay the bills. If you're angry with your spouse constantly, write it down and, and put it in the box. I recently came across this exercise, if you will. And as I'm thinking about this, and literally as I'm putting it together, I had this realization. Freshman year of college, 2000. My college roommate was a friend of mine I met in high school, moved away. We got reconnected at Indiana Westland. He had a God box. It was a shoe box he literally had next to his bed. I didn't have a clue what the heck a God box was. I had totally forgotten that he had this box that he would write stuff down and put in the box. And then you like ask him how he's doing or whatever and he would respond, I don't know, it's in the box. And literally, we're talking 22 years later, I realize that he had done this. And I'm like, man, I'm 22 years behind. Taking our thoughts captive doesn't have to be a difficult thing. You see, what this, this is not difficult. Some of you saw me do this and you're like, that is the most ridiculous thing in the world. Like seriously, I'm supposed to write something down, put it in a box, and that's supposed to change things? Yeah. Because why? It's literally a mental exercise that you do. Because what do we typically do? We worry, we panic about something, we live in it, and then life moves us on to the next thing, and we think we're past that mental anxiety, that panic, until it happens again. And then all of a sudden we're living it again until it happens again. And we, this competitive cycle. But what if we literally took that thought and we took it captive and we asked God to take control of that? And now the next time that thing comes up, you're literally mentally triggered. I put that in my God box. Oh, so what's that do? That triggers you to say, God's in control. God has this. God is with me. God will get me through this. He'll show me the path toward health. He'll show me the way out of the mess I'm in. A simple thing. When it comes to writing my messages, a simple thing of realizing if I prepare my heart, God will prepare the message. So why did I mention prayer so many times in the list of things? Because if I prepare my heart, God will prepare the message. If my heart and my mind are not in tune with what God wants my mouth to say, the message won't come out the way that God wants it to come out. But if I'm preparing my heart, God will take care of the details. A heart of peace. Imagine this, a heart of peace. A life filled with joy. Peace in your mind. 
like just that thought of a peace that my mind has, like my mind literally at peace. I kind of think of that almost as a pipe dream at times. It's like, seriously? Like, but it's possible. It's possible. And it's also a choice. Because we have control of our thoughts. If your life is moving in the direction of your strongest thought, do you like the direction that your life is going? If you don't control what you think, you can't control your life. You can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it. Taking your thoughts captive. If we take this seriously and literally work to take our thoughts captive, it can change us. As I'm, as I'm going through this with you, I'm having realizations that I have to be even more mentally intentional about doing this at certain periods of when I'm doing certain things. When I am around a sport, my, I go into autopilot. Because, I, I, I mean, for 40 years, I mean, I guess I didn't play sports when I was a baby. But for a long time, I've been somehow involved in sports. I've always been athletic, so I've always been involved in sports. And so when I'm coaching softball, I'm in coach mode automatic. And, and I'm, like, constantly throwing out things, like, you, like, do this, do this, do this. And I'm realizing that I'm coaching girls and they're fragile. And so I, I'm I, like, Ariana's a pitcher. And, and I was a pitcher. And, but I was a baseball pitcher. And she throws underhanded for some reason. Like, can't we just give them a white ball and let them throw it overhanded? I don't get it. But so... I'm constantly, like, she'll throw a pitch, and I'll say, okay, well, you were leaning forward. You need to be more upright. And, and like, like, even though she has this mask on, which is another ridiculous thing I don't understand, she has this mask on when she's playing out in the field, and even through the mask, I can see the faces I'm getting. But another pitch, and I'm telling her something else. Another pitch, I'm telling her something else. Well, then, well, we don't have our catcher was gone, so Ariana had to be our backup catcher when the other pitcher was pitching. And Ariana's giving me these looks. And I'm like, why are you looking at me like that? I'm not saying anything to you. But you're not saying anything to her because she's doing the same stuff I was doing. I'm like, what in the world? And... So I go up to Jennifer. It was toward it was our second game of the day. I had already umpired two seven-inning baseball games that day and played one game that I was late to, which I didn't know that it was starting an hour early. So I thought it was on time for that I was late for. And so I'm just in autopilot now when I get there. And 
Second game, towards the, the end of the game, I go up to Jennifer and I was like, Ariana's going to have to make a decision. Does she want me to coach her or does she want me to be the parent? Because I'm about done. And Jennifer's like, oh. So for the last 17 years that I've been trying to get you to understand, you've paid attention, right? And you've heard me, right? You've, you know, you have to take days before you come back and say, yeah, you're right. And, oh, you're going to give her one inning to realize that she needs to make it. I'm like, yeah. And we wonder why Ariana does it. Because just like they've taught, or Jennifer has taught the kids to be terrified of bugs, I've taught the kids how to facially respond to everything. No joke. What kid was it? Was it, it was Ariana. Um, we had Ariana, and, and people are, like, coming up to her at church and, and holding her. And she would make these, like, weird faces. And they're like, oh, he looks so much like Dustin. Because of the faces she made. Not because she actually looked like me, but because of the faces she made. Because I use my face a lot to express myself. Um, now that you know that, disregard it. So that when I make a stupid face, you're not like, oh, he didn't like that comment or something. So, like, just disregard, forget that part of my message. Probably be the only thing you remember. I say all of that to say, there are going to be times in your life where you're an autopilot. And you don't realize the things you're saying or the thoughts you are allowing yourself to have. And so you have to be even more intentional in those periods of time to focus on God. For me, one of the things I have that literally is, for, is partly mental trigger, partly how I pray because of my ADD, I don't focus well when I'm praying. Um, so I have, these are called Anglican prayer beads. Um, and I usually always have them in my pocket. And, but when I'm coaching, I don't have them in my pocket. So, because typically, you know, I'll put my hands in my pockets a lot. And when I feel it, it's become a mental trigger for me to think about God. Am, am I like thinking about God? Are, are my actions, are my thoughts, are my behaviors honoring God in that moment? And so I've realized, okay, well, I got to start. I have to carry this. I have doing little triggers to help us, to help me be mentally engaged even when I'm in autopilot. So that my coaching isn't just about a sport but then can become so much more because now it's about me connecting with the kids on a, a spiritual level beyond just a coaching level. But that's just me. Well, how does that work for you? Maybe it's your job when you're at work, you're an autopilot. When you're talking to that, that salesperson that you're sick and tired of talking about because they can't get the order right, you know, like how, how are you coming across? Taking those thoughts captive. You know, how do we 
around family when it's the the big Thanksgiving celebration and everyone's at home and we're just comfortable, we're natural. All of a sudden, do words come out of our mouth that we typically would never say if we are around our church people family? Taking those thoughts captive. I encourage you to find a God box. It doesn't have to be this big. That was just for a joke. And that, and it was the only box I had in my office. But get a shoebox. And it's yours. And I'm sorry, spouses, but your spouse's God box is off limits. You don't get to go, oh, what are they worrying about today? No, like, it's off limits. It's their God box. Because what if what they're struggling with is you? You knowing that's not going to make things better. So it needs to be off limits. It needs to be their God box. Between them and God. But take your thoughts captive, literally an exercise. of. I, I, when I did this this morning, I realized how easy it is and I, I want my family to have a God box that we can put our things in there that we're struggling with. I want my kids to know this. I don't want them to wait until they're, you know, 40 years old and, and realize, oh, yeah, I, you know, they're reading something. Oh, yeah, I remember Dad said, you know, gave a message about the God box thing. And it, why can't we teach it to them now? What if the anxieties of NWEA and I whatever learn stuff, it's like kick that to the curb. Let put give it to God and go just start marking stuff. Um, no, I don't encourage that. Because you can't, because it's on a computer. Um, you don't want to write on a computer. Sorry, my thoughts are going nuts right now. Stand with me before my thoughts get me in trouble. If you would, just reach out your hands and receive this blessing. God, I thank you for free will. Because our thoughts are not something that are forced upon us, but something that we choose. Something that we can say, I'm going to let that become a part of me and I'm not going to allow that to be a part of me. We have the decision, we have the choice every single day to honor you with our thoughts. God, I pray that you will help us to start taking our thoughts captive through Jesus Christ. So that we can then have a heart and a mind and a soul that honor you. May our minds praise you. May our minds be drawn to you. God, I pray that you will help each one of us to take this seriously, this God box. That even as though it's a kind of a silly, tangible thing that we can do, let it be more than that. 
Let it be something that has power behind it. Not because it's a special box, but because you are a special God. Because you are a special, loving, gracious God who wants to be for us and with us. May we surrender our hearts and our minds to you so that by your spirit we can take our thoughts captive so that we can glorify you. Amen.